Hello everyone and welcome back to the Monday Lorians, where we have a casual chat about Star Wars over a cup of Jawa juice to brighten up your week. Here we discuss the stories, themes, characters and our own personal experiences from a galaxy far, far away. I'm Niall Glynn. I'm Jake Hart. I'm David Osgood. And we're all together this week discussing chapter 24 of the Mandalorian, the season 3 finale titled The Return, directed by Rick Famuyiwa and written by John Favreau. But before we all get into that juicy discussion, how's it going, guys? Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I've uh, It's a Sunday and I had a very big Sunday lunch earlier. So, um, yeah, before recording, I was like, right, I can either podcast or I can like nap with all this food in my stomach. So I chose I chose the podcasting way, which uh, hopefully will bring uh, good fortune. Well, anyway, for the listeners, then, if you don't hear Dave talk for a while, he's having like nice mashed potato sleepy dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, what about you? Have you all fed for Sunday? Uh, no, actually, I've just because I've been at work uh, all day. I've just kind of been picking throughout the day just to keep me going. Nothing really substantial. I'll probably have something after the, this recording, but I'm good. It's actually funny when I was at work, I um, encountered someone with a Star Wars Celebration 2023 T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Um, this, this wasn't a mirror, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It was someone else. Definition else's of madness. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that guy is. Uh, <laughs> he looks familiar. Your clone's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was just. Well, I think is he wasn't. <laughs> it was. I wanted to be like, hey, so so a celebration, but he was like a bit far away, and I didn't want to seem like that weirdo. Mm. So I thought I'd just leave him. But it was cool to see it in public, and also so close to Chepstow, where I was like, hey, someone clearly from this area also went to celebration. Just yeah. Kind of I had quite a fun celebration boast the other week when uh, I think I was sending you guys pictures of uh, some of the action figures I saw in a Cardiff sort of toy store, um, also memorabilia collector sort of shop. And uh, they had loads of stuff there in terms of like figures and different things like that. And um, when I saw one of the like clone ones where I was asking questions about some of the like Funkos and Star Wars stuff they had, um, he was, you know, sort of negotiating prices with me and things like that. And I was like, no. The negotiate. I've... Yeah, exactly. So I was just like, you know, I've, I've just been to somewhere that sells lots of this and I'm not looking to save money at the moment. But I was kind of like just a, a subtle boast of like, oh, yes, I was at Celebration last week and I saw this there. <laughs> it's very good. He yeah, just it's, looked it's... at me kind of blankly and I was just like, oh, is, is this guy? No, no I, I, to be fair, I have to admit, I did one of those as well. Um, somebody commented on my um, new watch strap that I got at Celebration, the one with the Rebel logo. Someone was like, hey, that's cool. I was like, yeah, I got it at Celebration. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm still not over it. I'm still boasting about it. <laughs> They're just like, it's been celebration weird. of what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just celebrating. It's funny, <laughs> though. We will do a deep dive on Celebration, but I did find those first few days after it, even though we were, me and Dave only did two days, the first few days after it, when you weren't regularly seeing people dressed up as stormtroopers <laughs> and clone troopers everywhere, it felt very odd for me. Well, it's because you were ill, Nile. You were just like delirious. Uh, it was it was a spice fever dream or something <laughs> I was going through. 
I don't know what happened. But it's always funny, like, we've been talking about this recently, like, the weird little Star Wars encounters you get in real life. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've had two weird ones lately. Um, while I was sick, me and my girlfriend watched a, a, a good show on Disney Plus called The Dropout, which is all about, like, the real-life Theranos trial and all the, all the things that happened with that company. It's worth a watch. But in it, the main character keeps quoting Yoda, the do-or-do-not. Right, but yeah. I had one of my really annoying Star Wars fanboy things where I was like, he got that wrong. Because it starts in like 2002, but the Yoda sticker she has is from the Clone Wars. Oh. And I was like, no, they got the detail wrong. That show hadn't started yet. <laughs> and my girlfriend could not have been less attracted to me. <laughs> have you seen that meme picture somebody made the other day? And it's like, Luke, when Yoda's there, like, dying in Return of the Jedi. And he's like, hey, what shape is this? And it's like a picture of a triangle. And, he, and Yoda's like, triangle. And he's like, no, it's a do-angle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cerebral one. <laughs> I just love the idea of like sassy Luke just you know taking these lessons on Yoda be like this is showing do or do not I'm still not over just just picturing you and Julia sitting there watching and you saying that and her just turning looking at you and being like what did you just say (laughs) I'm I don't rethinking know if I'm her life choices. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rethinking a lot of things right now. He's getting angry about Yoda. <laughs> Starts downloading Tinder. <laughs> oh, thanks, Dave. Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. It's a good thing this isn't an in-person episode. <laughs> be brawling. Also, um, I, sent, I sent you guys a picture. It tickled me pink where we went out for a walk around um, a local area, which is like around Penarth. Oh, yeah. uh, this is an area in Wales. I don't think anyone's going to dox me based on that vague information. <laughs> I hope not. But we went into a, a gift shop, which had like posters for our local area being invaded with TIE fighters and 8080s. It's just the fact that that was the only one. It's like the rest of them were all just Penarth. And then... Yeah, with, next to a penguin. Like. Yeah, so it wasn't like all of them were Star Wars themed. It was just that one. None of it made sense. <laughs> I, I did want to buy one, and I might yet, because I think it is such a mad bit of memorabilia. It's very funny. I didn't really spend that much at Celebration, but I see yeah. Panarif, and I was like, ooh, got to go for it. <laughs> yeah. I would have bought, because the because you sent two. One had an AT-80 and one had a, an X-Wing. Yeah. But the one I found, I found the X-Wing one funnier, just because of the little speech bubble in it, where it says, only the Rebel Alliance can save Panarif from the Empire. <laughs> are they being invaded (laughs) (laughs) well there's a lot of pressure around where i live uh anyway enough about panair for now we do have to discuss the season finale of our our kind of namesake tv show so yeah this is a quite quite an odd episode i thought in a lot of ways but before we get into it, because I'm, I'm going to guess I might be the guy who wasn't so into this out of the three of us, but let's take the room's temperature. Jake, how did you find the season finale? Uh, <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting. I, 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 I think from everything that was shown, I quite enjoyed, you know, um, big spectacular action, you know, uh, following through on certain themes and stuff like that. So the stuff that was on screen, I was a big fan of. Um, however, I did question a lot of the story choices going in, like after the finale had finished, because I think 
throughout the season, they'd set up a lot of stuff, a lot of themes, a lot of possible story points, a lot of potential conflicts and character developments and stuff like that. That I don't think didn't just go nowhere because I think some of, it, some of that will be continued on in, in further seasons. Um, but I did kind of felt slightly underwhelmed with the finale in terms of the character stuff uh, more than anything uh, and certain choices about the characters just being like, okay, this is what we're doing now. You know, it's like I can see... It's it kind of they, they certainly fly now. They certainly fly now. Yeah, I, it it kind of and oh, this might get me into trouble, but it kind of reminded me of like Game of Thrones season eight, <laughs> where it's like everything that happened in in that, particularly like looking at uh, Daenerys' storyline, everything that happened there, I thought, yeah, that all makes sense. It just seemed come out of nowhere, and a lot of it seemed rushed to me. Um, so that's kind of how I felt with this finale. That I did like a lot of what they did. I just felt execution was lacking i think in this episode but everything i did see and all the action and the comedy and i, I thought it was it was a good time i had a good time watching it but i did was left with a lot of questions after it we're, we're a lot closer than i thought I, I was surprised i was worried this would be another episode where i come into it as just the grump but <laughs> luckily not unless dave what, what do you make of it no i, I think definitely now that uh, you you won't be on your own there i think even possibly i might have more problems than than you did with like season two finale i i feel like i'm almost i experienced it in the same way that you experienced season two maybe not to the same extent of eye rolling but just in the kind of sense that it just didn't captivate me all that much i think that jake's wording of underwhelming is quite accurate as well um and also i think out of the three of us possibly i'm the one who's maybe been the least excited by this season um, and I don't want to say I've had the most problems because while I've had problems, it's been a bit of a roller coaster in the sense of like, I think, especially when watching it with Bad Batch, it was especially difficult to not have that kind of like gauge of comparison, especially to be in two completely different points of the seasons with either show. Um, and as I mentioned before, to be coming off of something like Andor as well and to have other projects which are coming up in the future, which I may be more excited with. And as we've discussed, the kind of fallout from Boba Fett that I experienced. So I think that to me, a lot of this was still continuing some of the issues I've had. And again, none of it, which I'm watching, I'm like, this is bad or like, this is really problematic or anything like that. It's just kind of disappointing in some ways and just kind of fine, which is also okay. <laughs> but it's just, you know, when you watch in a big Star Wars show like this, you want it to be captivating. And for me, I just... You know, if we're using analogies, we often talk about buffets, but if we're using transportation, I almost felt as if usually if I'm watching a TV show, if it's one I love, you know, I feel like I'm right there in the front seat and, you know, I'm captivated by what happened. And I think of season two finale and I was like on the edge of my seat, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? The stakes, the situation, the characters, the emotions, everything I felt came to a head here. I felt like I was on another plane and just watching this one from afar. I just was kind of like. I would just felt very detached from the entire thing. I was just kind of like, it just glazed over me, which is kind of what's happened for the entire season for me. And it's it's weird because I don't really usually watch television shows like that. If it doesn't really capture me, I don't really continue. So the only thing that's really keeping me hooked in at this stage is it's Star Wars. And there's a few characters and a few sort of storylines, which I'm mildly interested in. But I think a lot of this comes down to the style of Favreau. 
um, which again is not a bad thing. Um, I just don't vibe with a lot of his storytelling styles and a lot of his approaches to things. Um, and I think, as I've said, is that tug of war, I think that is sometimes happening of what Disney wants, what Filoni wants, what Favreau wants. Um, and I think by this episode, it's been even more evident that, yes, I think last week's conversation with Kletchy kind of helped kind of sort things out of my mind in terms of like, it's a very experimental season. They're trying different things. You're kind of sort of following up from almost a finale in itself with season two. Um, and I think that they're then sort of now expanding this world and future television shows and trying different episode types, which I respect and I appreciate. But then also this episode there made me feel that they're also going, oh, well, we're also going to wrap up everything as well at the same time. So I, f I think that when people look at how many seasons of Mando there are in the future, I think season three will always stand out as a kind of very experimental, very... Um, roller coaster up and down sort of period um for the show um and it it'll be interesting to see where it goes because honestly i think there's elements of this which are nice in the finality of it but i also question what they were doing from the offset in terms of like wanting to do almost a second finale and do another ending to the two characters as well as the one they previously did yeah i i kind of also wanted to bring up um the aspect of like um what, what, what do I want to say? Like the the sort of structure of the show, in the sense, and like the plot mechanics of it, and stuff like that. Because, and and the focus, you know, like what what is this season about, in, in a sense? Because I've seen a lot of people kind of question that of like, what is this season about? You know, because we were following a lot of different people. Um, like a lot, I've seen a lot of people say it's very unfocused as well. Um, I would like to kind of disagree with that in a sense of like I think this season is very focused on what it wants to do. I think John Favreau. And Filoni, from episode one, well, the episode one of, of season three, very clearly set up, this is what we're going to be focusing on this season. Um, I just think it wasn't maybe as focused as the previous two seasons. It's kind of more, it, the way I saw it, it's kind of more looking at bigger concepts, bigger issues, galaxy-wide situations, rather than character-focused stories. Um, and I think that's what their intention was. It might not have, it didn't quite work for a lot of people, but I don't think it was unfocused. I think it was def they definitely had a plan and they knew what they were leading up to. I just think th some of the ex ex execution of it uh, wasn't quite done to the high standards that they maybe did in the previous two seasons. Especially this finale as well, because there's a, there was a lot of things that, that they kind of revealed or clarified in this finale, which is kind of things I've been wanting to, to find out about. And then when it happens, like uh, particularly um, Gideon's plan sort of thing with the clones and all that sort of thing, you know, there was an aspect of him when he said it, I was like, cool, we know that now. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, it's kind of like, I sort of knew that and it's nice it, for it's a clarification, but it a wasn't- A bit checkboxy, you know? A it's like, check, oh, yeah, it, did, that, it, did, it didn't yeah. have that- punch that you think that type of reveal would need do you know what i mean and i also felt as well like it was a bit 
you know, uh, sorry, Niall, but a bit James Bond villainy. I'm going to give you my evil plan monologue oh, now. Yeah. And he just starts listing all One the things that... One of my notes that... is, like I said last time, like, Syndrome would love this guy. You know, like, it's yeah. literally, like, because it's not even like it, he did it last time. And you're like, okay, that's quite funny. But then to do it again, I was like, really? You know? He so. just like, loves monologues, this guy. But there was just something about it. I was like, Which it's is just, just too not quite nose. working for me, that, that this sort of reveal. Although I did get a kick. I did find it funny. He was a, and the one thing that was missing... The force. Yeah, the force. <laughs> I love the force. I think uh, I think the Game of Thrones comparison is very accurate. I just want to say as well is the yeah. checkbox element. I think you know when you I think of Game of Thrones and I think of that Daenerys going up on the tower or whatever it is, and she's like, you can. Well, actually, that was a better fan edit in which people actually put voices in her head, but they don't. That doesn't happen in the actual show in which she she makes the decision to burn it all, kind of thing. And you you kind of watch it at that moment, being like, "Oh, really? Are you doing that?" Okay, yeah, here we go. You know, it was that sort of approach. There was no kind of like big reveals, big surprises of like, "Oh, whoa, I didn't expect that." You know, it's and it's almost fu funny to me that actually everyone has been spending this whole time like, "Oh, are they just you know reconning the whole like uh, somehow Palpatine returned and like you know they're setting this up all the Snoke stuff?" And I'm like, "Whoa, okay, this is nothing no, to do I, with I, that." You know, we'll let you speak. I'm, I swear, yeah. but. But I just wanted to also say regarding that is that I'm kind of really glad that this is actually the answer, though. Mm, yeah. Because, you know, like um, I think all three of us were kind of on the same wavelength of like, I don't necessarily think it's all leading to Palpatine. I think Gideon's got his own thing going on and stuff like that. But so I, I'm kind of glad that it is the it ended the way it did. I don't not everything needs to go to, no. to Palpatine. But I have no doubt, you know, there's data being sent to Exegol and his cronies are doing stuff, you know. I did find it a very bizarre aspect of that whole exchange where Din Djarin goes in and he finds all the Moff Gideons in those pods and then they destroys them all. And then in the next scene, it's kind of treated like, oh, you ruined my plan. And it just seemed all quite accidental. Yeah. Like, oh shit, was that your plan in the next room? I, I didn't mean that. Sorry, mate. It almost seemed planned when it wasn't, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. Well. Like, we have to go and destroy Gideon's clones. And I think... Because also that it reminds me so much of other stuff. There's been so many films and stuff which also do it better. Like I was trying to think of some examples and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's even happened with clones of a villain and I'm trying to think what it is. The only one I could think of is maybe with like Khan, maybe in Star Trek in which like his people are like potentially like killed off and he's like, you know, they were, you know, like beautiful creatures kind of thing. I'm trying to think what else that has happened in which they're creating these like creatures or robots or something and then the hero comes along and destroys them all when they're kind of sleeping or whatever, you know, it's, it's just, and it kind of comes across as a bit sort of underwhelming because then Gideon let that happen so easily and Mando just rolled in there so easily and did it. I don't know yeah. why he also like made all his clones like also middle-aged blokes. Yeah. Yeah. I would have aged them down a bit. Without mustaches. Without mustaches. Moffstaches, did you say? Moffstaches. Yeah, yeah. That's very good. <laughs> but, but Niall, what is your overall reaction to this episode? <laughs> My reaction is the same as you, Jake, pretty much, but maybe a bit more grumpy with it, I'd <laughs> say, is like watching it. I was like, I think I kind of preferred it to that season two finale because that for me has that horrible thing for me of being hinged around this cameo that kind of deflated it. Where I was like, this, I, I don't think this is a great episode, but it's kind of not great on its own merits. It's not hanging on to anything else, but it's got that issue I feel bad almost that I criticised it at all now, but remember when we discussed the Bad Batch season one finale and I, I was like also on the same page, I thought it was really good, 
but my only problem with it was I didn't feel it did like anything to kind of change the status quo for going into the next season. <laughs> An and entire race died now. <laughs> well, that, that was not clear yes, at the yeah, time. I joke, I joke. Your Honor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but with this, I'm like, f- has Din Djarin changed at all this season? Has mm. there been any momentum? Because he ends the season and it's almost done like a reveal of like, oh, I'm going to adopt Grogu and now he's a Mandalorian? Oh, I just took that for granted that that was kind of where we were at at the end of season one you know mm. and i was like oh i'm just going to be a bounty hunter again i was like but did, don't you have like a function on this new pl- on this planet you've just helped to re- retake you know like the thing is, not, not not even at the end of season one it was like in like the first three episodes where the armor yeah. says you are now a clan of two or something like that so yeah that that was a bit weird as well yeah it feels like they're kind of reiterating information like trying to pretend it's a development i was like it, it that doesn't work for me at all um just like very very strange decisions and i'm sure we're going to get into it because we've spoken so much this season with different guests enough about like the kind of like cult stuff and all that i think this has had like really really weird messaging yeah especially since we've just kind of had it confirmed now that the fact that Din Djarin, like took off his helmet to say goodbye to his child was actually a terrible thing. And it's good that he paid his penance and never took it off again. That's, that's what I'm thinking is when I think of everything that I would like from the end of Mandalorian, none of it is there. And I'm like, you know, somebody could say, well, that's your own fault. And I'm like, well, maybe the show shouldn't have set me up to think about those yeah. things. See, yeah, th- this is my exact point, Dave, because for me, this whole show like when you're getting you know Bo-Katan's side of things and the armorers and all this they're clearly setting up a a conflict of different ideologies of Mandalore and the main theme going through is Mandalore stronger together excellent Mm. we get that we got the bumper sticker Mm. but how does that come actually together because by the end of the episode you know when they're doing the baptism and they're lighting the forge I'm like great awesome so are we going to discuss the helmet thing or, yes. or, or, or you know, like, you know, I, I, was, I was left with more questions of like, OK, we're together, but it doesn't feel like we've actually worked out our problems with each other. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there was one fight over a game of chess and that's kind of yeah. the extent of the yeah. conflict between these groups. And that was because the penultimate episode, The Spies, I thought that was a great episode. I loved uh, that episode. Yeah, yeah and, I was really into that. And, and that scene, the little chess scene, I thought was amazing because i was and i want more of that i wanted more of those little moments of them actually discussing their different points of view their different ideologies how can we compromise how can we work together to make mandalore stronger you know and i just felt we they laid all that on the table but i don't think they fully went through on that especially with the armorer because i have so many questions about the armor i think she's a fascinating character um, it, I almost like saw Guerrero in the sense of like, I don't really like, I don't like the character, but I'm not supposed to because they're meant to be provocative. They're meant to like sort of challenge everything, you know, that the heroes do and stuff like that. But I felt by the end, it was like, yeah, that's fine. We're all cool now. You know, and I was like, wait, what? Like, but she reminds me a bit of like Mando in a way, like Niall has said on the podcast before is that, you know, the whole, like he comes across as quite, you know, like, an idiot sometimes you know in the sense you're just like what you know like this is our hero and he's just got like easily like captured like that or he's just easily being like sort of taken over or somebody's captured him and he's like oh get help i'm captured again and you know this kind of moment <laughs> and i almost it almost like feels like 
the armorer is kind of like damaged by that then the fact that like one minute she's like hey you know like we don't like that you know Bo-Katan and then next minute she's like oh I love Bo-Katan and you're just like it then <laughs> friendship with Mando over yeah. now Bo-Katan is my best yeah, friend it's just, it just compromises her integrity as a character and you're just like well what do you believe in them like what what are you you know what are your beliefs you know and the fact that she was like oh you need to go to the waters and you need to like you know prove that you're a Mandalorian etc but then she's fine with Bo-Katan and everyone coming together and yeah, you can take off your helmet that's fine no? yeah and <laughs> I don't know it's, and like you said it's just such a strange thing to end the season on that to have them like there all together because I feel that even from season one you know I was never there watching that that episode in which the Mandalorians arrive and they help Din escape with Grogu going like yeah like these are all the heroes like they're the hero in the situation but i wasn't so much watching it i was kind of watching like bounty hunters versus mercenaries you know like it was villains versus villains almost and i think that it's then weird that the show has had to pivot to be like oh no these guys are the good guys and i'm like but you've shown multiple times that they are like shady and like you said niall that you know season two ending we're taking off the helmet etc yeah I, i don't know it's just whether it's just my personal, what I would want from the end of the situation, especially with the fact that Luke comes along and takes Grogu away, and then the end of it is just like, oh no, he goes back to the Mandalorians. I'm like, mm, I think I'd prefer him as a Jedi, to be honest. But Because this season, I think we can say, has done nothing to justify Grogu's return. Well, he got knighted. He got knighted. We will see him at the coronation. I think that's... that's he got to thing. meet Lizzo, and I'm very happy for him. <laughs> he's got that signed sign t-shirt. If he's not a if he's not a King Charles's coronation, I'll be pissed. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> Sir Grogu, um, Knight of the what was it? What, Knight of the the Outland Allegiance or something like that. Something like that. I can't remember. It was a long title. Yeah, well um, done. That's closer than I I mean, I wouldn't say he was completely wasted. I would say there's definitely some. Like he was definitely just the latter half of the season. I think he was used as a as a sort of. Uh, sort of uh, symbol of like y- uniting the Mandalorians, you know, because he's got, a, you know, got that e- aspect of like the best of both traits, you know, and you know he stops the fight and all these sorts of things. So I think the latter half of the season he was used more effectively than the first half, but I would agree they very didn't really utilize him in a story sense. Um, but I, ca- I can't. I can't lie seeing him walk with his little funny legs into the bar like it's you know i'll never get tired of grogu doing funny things because it, it is adorable but story-wise you know i have to say i am i am i'm tired of him because i want i want him to be no, a character I, I, I get it i get it i get it <laughs> you know no, I, I get yeah. it i'm not saying you're but wrong i i am but... glad he lost the ig thing though that didn't quite uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that was stupid yeah. I that's thought. that's again funny that's where i think i just don't vibe like, mm. with favreau as a creator because i think favreau i can hear him saying like oh well everyone loved ig11 we need to bring him back and again it goes back to this idea that he felt that tony stark had to stay alive in avengers etc so i and the fact that he's like done it with like disney projects and stuff and like oh and this big this character because everyone loves them and i'm like they love them for a reason because they're underused or they're like you know they're only used to a certain degree it doesn't mean that they should come back bigger and bolder just leave them the way they are and i think that that's why to me like i much would have preferred to see grogu in a few years later when he can talk like i again that's where i think the the show almost trips up on itself when the armor is there like well he can't talk so what do you want us to do? And I'm just there like, yeah, this is a problem. You know, he's like, but, but can't he be my apprentice? And I'm like, it's just like, I find that a character that's a baby, which can't talk, it just gets into so many repetitive situations. I will say the only time which I thought that he did really work, 
but I think this is only because it's pretty much doing the same thing as they did in season one, was when he protected them from the fire. But that pretty much is going only back to what he did in season one with the flame trooper. But I thought that what was nice there was the visual was very beautiful, um, and also the fact that he was protecting Din and Bogotan. I thought that that was a nice thing to sort of show them as a family and to show that he's protecting almost like his mum and dad in a way. Um, which I'm not going down the whole like shipping Din and Bogota. Yes, you I'm are. Not... Yes, I actually you are. see her more as like Auntie Bo. Yes, whichever you want to see it. I, all I'm saying is. <laughs> yeah, because God forbid I have any romance. <laughs> all God I'm saying is that they've been in the ship together and he's been on her lap and like he's also been with Din. So like there's been sort of like a paternal relationship with both characters. And I think it was nice to see that at the end. But then I almost, I watched that kind of wishing, oh, I wish this was the season three. I wish it was all about these three, you know, so it's. It's again, it's just so many different storylines going on. And, and I think that's where the Favreau element comes into it is that I think that he's like, oh, well, we need to have IG-11 or we need to do this. So we need to have that character come back. And it's like, but why? What, do we really, apart from just clicks or I, views? I, I, would, <laughs> I would hesitate laying that all on Favreau personally. Because uh, I, 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 I think Filoni is, has been guilty before of doing true, such things. True, you know? true. So I wouldn't put all the blame on Favreau personally. No, but it's just from other projects that he... I think we can all agree. This is definitely <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy's doing. <laughs> just, to clarify, got, just, just to clarify, that is a joke. Just to clarify for anyone out there. <laughs> Niall's already made the fan edit where Grogu's looking in a tube and Kathleen's there and her eyes pop open. <laughs> <laughs> the Kathy uh, clones. <laughs> the Kathy that's cut. what we should do. That's our project because just to like throw it back at those haters, just like, well, you get more of them. Here's <laughs> <Just> more Kathy. <laughs> she's going to run Lucasfilm forever. <laughs> yeah. She's going to run the various aspects of of uh, of Lucasfilm with the force. <laughs> with the force. <laughs> it is funny though cuz just the fact that it came up in the first episode, the rebuilding of IG11, and the series is kind of capped by that happening. Is is this just like a thing they had to do? To kind of justify the fact that the old marshal of oh, yeah. Navarro is <laughs> yeah. never coming got back. got a new one. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, shit, who, who do people like? Who is kind of unproblematic? Taika Waititi, we had him before. Come back, Taika. But that's the you thing, know? I don't even think, like... they For me, that didn't seem like a story angle they needed to fulfill. No. That, that, no, that, that's, not you at know, all. It just seemed like... I understand wanting to bring him back because he's a fan favorite, but I felt he served his purpose beautifully in season one. Um, it was very emotional, him going out and stuff like that. Um, I don't know why at the beginning, Din just says, I need a droid to go to. <laughs> just any droid would have done like, you know, like. I think a better example of the Favreau element I'm talking about is probably not IG-11s because I agree actually is that, you know, anybody could be guilty of that. But what I did see, and again, it's just because I think this is evident in a lot of his work, is the mouse droid scene. I was very much like this again screams to me like his sensibilities, his sense of humor. It's just that whole like, oh, a bunch of them. Like he's like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if like a bunch of them showed up and then you get like R4, like fighting Sorry, off against I, the mouse droids. I'm like, I don't... quite funny. I'm it, not going to lie. It was, I, enjoy, I got a kick out of that It scene, was no, funny, no. but I just found it so Disney-esque and just like, well, kind of like... Thing um, is, yeah. Oh, I, would, I wouldn't... <laughs> Revenge of the yeah, Sith. They, I was going to say, this has got, it's, there's, That's there's a lot of, in a super there's battle a lot droid, of prequel humour in this type, in, yeah. this, in The Mandalorian. So I wouldn't say it's just Disney because, and that, for me, that was kind of, when that scene happened, I was like, yes, this is, this is Star Wars because you have this epic battle going on 
on one side and then we cut to our five knocking over a mouse droid like oh yeah it just is you know it's the sincere versus the absurd i just love it like, it just goes back to him being like oh well you know he loves new hope and stuff and because it's all happening in like corridors and it's like a, a droid from a new hope and stuff like that i think it's just to me that it's like it's not like in Revenge of the Sith in which like, oh my God, R2-D2, this like cute little character is like burned alive, these like droids. I think there's just more a scaled down version of that, which is quite funny. They got little, little sirens on them and stuff like that. So maybe it just makes me think of like Zootopia or something where they get the little like mice going around with like little police cars and stuff like that. Um, so, and again, I'm not saying it's bad and loads of people have said like, oh, I love that scene and stuff like that, but it's just not, you know, like my vibe of that humor and, Again, it doesn't necessarily mean that I love it in Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith. It's just like kind of... I do like it in Revenge of the Sith, but maybe... Oh, see. Yeah, yeah. you're also <laughs> Attack, Attack the Clones, for example, like when 3PO's head's on yeah, like a battle yeah. droid and stuff. You're just like, oh, God's sake, oh, yeah. you know, but... Yeah, I draw the line at the 3PO stuff in yeah. Genesis. <laughs> when I was talking about the visuals of Grogu, and again, I, I could see this attributed to any of the creators, but again, this is where it kind of goes over my head. And reminds me again of you guys know my favorite film to bring up when criticizing things, which is Spider-Man, of just the moment of like all the three Spider-Man come together and the cinema like, yeah, and I'm just there like, don't care. You know, so I think this this finale also reminded me a lot of that. It's just like, I will admit Bo-Katan with the dark saber, like sort of holding it out and all of them behind it. That was cool. But there was just so many visual moments in this where like the armor is like kicking ass and people are different things. And I, it just went over my head. I, but I can imagine a lot of people watching it and absolutely loving it. But I think it speaks to the element of like the creators like, oh, yeah, this is epic and it kicks ass and it's cool. But I, I wonder whether and I I was like 50 50. I was like, I could see this happening and I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't really have an issue with it. But I also felt it wasn't going in that way and I'm glad it didn't. But would you guys have been surprised if Pelimoto turned up in like a ship and started fighting and, Bo and Boba Fett and uh, what's the name? Um, Fennec Shand. Fennec Shand turned up and then they're in the fight and stuff like that. I, I'm like, I'm not saying I wanted it, and I, but I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised and it kind of wouldn't be out of place. I'm, so that's my criticism of it. It's more like it's fun. It's epic. I'm not saying it doesn't make for a beautiful visual. But the fact that I feel that those two things could have just as easily been in there and worked kind of speaks to like how unattached I was to yeah, to the moment. I, I don't I I don't know, Dave. I think I'd have to. Dis I don't think they would go that far, personally. I don't think no. I, that's the fifty part of my brain, which is also like, yeah, I don't think they would. But yeah, because I did see before this episode came out, there was a lot of people on my Star Wars people on my feed being like, can't wait to see Boba Fett yeah, tomorrow. That's what I saw. Cause yeah. I think they, they built it up like, Oh, cause he's a Mandalorian too. I was like, well, that would be just absolutely terrible if he showed up for no reason, like without any setup that is just doing again, like the character shows up and gets them out of trouble, which they didn't really do this time in fairness to them. Cause that is usually my gripe when they don't know how to have characters figure things out in a creative way. Uh, but I thought, also just at the start, just really like missed potential. I thought last, the last episode ended so great with like Din Djarin being captured mm. and they just get around that so quickly that yeah. it's like so many juicy things could have come from that situation. Yeah, I was, I was I'm on the same wave of enthusiasm because I was kind of thinking, hoping anyway and maybe this is kind of you know me bringing baggage into an episode that they were never going to do this but hey you kind of set it up for that um i was hoping maybe like a one-on-one -on -one 
conversation between Gideon and Din and him having to remove the helmet and stuff like that. I was being like, because, you know, we, we, it's, you know, the last two seasons, we've got to see Pedro's face in the last episode. That's that's when he, well, the last two episodes yeah. in season two. Yeah, so is this the only season where we haven't seen We him? haven't seen Pedro yeah. now. Because he's not been there. <laughs> he's not been there. Yeah, you know, this is going into like real world situations. Obviously, he's a very busy man. He's probably <laughs> he, he, doing he, the last he of us. He can't take off his helmet in the real world. Yeah, <laughs> you know, th there was, um, I believe this one was done during COVID times as well. So there's, aspects there but anyway regardless of that i just felt as if like you said Daniel, wasted potential they could have had a moment e even if he just comes in for like a couple of hours of shooting to do this one scene with gideon i think that would have been really powerful uh, and also it would have i think for din if him having to remove his helmet again or have it someone take it off him i think that would have been maybe that character development we were kind of lacking in this season where we could have seen him deal with the very aspect of putting on this helmet, you know, and having to leave it on, especially as he's been, you know, in cahoots with Bo-Katan this entire season where she's had a helmet off and she's had the blessing from the armor being like, yeah, you can do it. Don't worry. Um, I just think Din, it's something I think I would have liked Din to struggle with as well. You know, the, the fact, but I don't know. It just is even like, I love the ending scene of him and Grogu out him on the porch, but I was like, take your helmet off, man. <laughs> like you're on you're you're on the you're chilling with your child like it's fine like this is what i want this mandalorian ideology to be addressed and it also reminds me of game of thrones in the sense of having their cake and eating it too it's like you know the whole jamie thing of like some people like oh well i love the relationship with him and uh brienne or brienne of Cersei, Tarth, yeah. but then it's like but also his sister and this is like well how do we get around that well he just sleeps with both of them and it's so it's and then it's th that almost does the same thing here of like oh well he needs to leave the child and they need to have this like fond farewell oh but there's also people who'd love to see him like settle down and like spend the rest of his days as his father well we'll give him both you know so it's like and f you kind of respect in the sense of, oh yeah it was nice i got to see both endings but it also quashes both both endings so i think that 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 is unfortunate and and one thing i found very strange as well was again this constant set I, I don't know if this is like a ramification of like them not being able to reveal things on sets or like scripts being kept secret like we know with the season two one that even the people on set thought it was going to be Plo Koon for example which came on and saved Grogu etc but I just felt there was even more strange even when I rewatched this episode that they just hold these shots so many times and just like allude to things so many times they like, I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you setting up as if this character is going to betray them or do something? The weirdest one is that character, mm. the armor, I think, especially. But then the character when, um, what's the character? Axe Wolves? Axe. Mm. Yeah. He comes in and even the way he's performing that scene, I don't think he's doing a bad job. He's like, everyone get out. Everyone got out. I need to do this. And you're kind of like, okay, you're playing this a bit strange. Like this, if you're, you've got something you're trying to do, but no. And then they hold on that character who's like kind of almost wearing like Django Fett sort of armor. He's got like silver Mando armor. And then when he's leaving, he kind of looks at him like, what's he up to? And I'm like, if he was just looking at him to think like, oh no, he's going to sacrifice himself. Somebody should have directed him to do that. Not to look at him suspiciously. Like, what are you up to? I find that so odd that they do that so many times that they build up they they're just falsely building up expectations like oh no what's gonna happen there Ooh, is this gonna happen oh no it's not it's like jake said earlier he's like oh it was just that that that's fine 
it's these weird setups that they keep happening and i feel i don't know if that's a tension span thing it's all it also goes to the praetorian guard thing if they even have the exact same entrance of just like oh and i'm just like what are we doing why are we just repeating moments <laughs> it again? was pretty cool as cool i thought it was cool i thought it was I, funny yeah. those praetorian <laughs> guards were, well, would kick ass like a... they have like a nazgul entrance it's even like a kind of fog <laughs> machine <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I love yeah. that it's got to be dramatic yeah i i want to talk about that dave because I know it's been a point of contention. People have been debating the episode since it came out. Some people saying like, oh, you know, this is thing. And sometimes it's true. People saying like, you just didn't like it because it didn't fulfill your theories or it didn't go the way you wanted it to. And I think, you know, that's fine for people to think that. But I think the problem is that the theories just at the base level just gave it a bit of spice. Because the problem with this is everyone is kind of exactly who they say they are. And they all want exactly what they say they do. <laughs> There's just no conflict. Yeah. There's no conflict. And even the thing early in the season, that when Moff Gideon is, escapes that prison shuttle, it's like, but there's Beskar here. You're like, oh, shit. He's, there's Mandalorians who freed him for some reason. It's like, oh, no, his Stormtrooper is just also a Beskar. <laughs> it's just all these little things that would just, like, juice it up. Just give it a bit of that's, zing. That's what I thought. I thought there was a lot of, like interesting stuff that w happened to Gideon that just happened in between seasons that we mm. didn't really see and I yeah. thought that that would have been cool to see you know like how he got away yeah. and then we you know we see these Beskar troopers and stuff like that you know we just didn't have an antagonist for the season till the last two episodes and now he's gone again <laughs> if you wanted the obvious kind of tie-in to stuff then use him like I said because they brought in Dr. Pershing mm. But why not just have, if you want to show the corruption in the New Republic, why not just do that with Gideon? Why not show him on trial? Because I never understood that. They're like, I knew he never went to trial. And it's just like, I don't understand. If the government lost a prisoner, surely like everyone would know about that. It wouldn't be like just one part of the government's like, oh, no, he did go to trial. It, yeah, it's fine. That would <laughs> happen like, in the UK, Dave. Don't lie. Pro pro yes, probably. Yeah, to be honest. <laughs> That would that would have been an easy way to tie in that kind of New Republic stuff is that maybe if they excused him or something or like that the... the the trial didn't go um, as it should have been because they would have been like, oh, well, we can't kill him because this is not the way we do things anymore. You know, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they just they dropped the ball, like you said, in terms of not having a enemy for the entire season. And I don't know what you think, Niall, as well, because you were saying earlier about comparing this to the season two finale. What I also think about when I think of the previous two seasons is that they, while, yes, this does have the Praetorian guards, I think, yes, they are fun. They are like very elaborate. But ultimately, they still very much have some of the problems you get in The Last Jedi of just they're flipping around whips and lightsabers and just doing their thing. Whereas the Dark Troopers were a force to be reckoned with to the point of like, we cannot fight these. We are pinned down in a room. There was that tension and like they couldn't be stopped. And there was only the one character, which, yes, is very gimmicky, Luke Skywalker. But he was the answer to that. He came in, was able to stop them. Whereas here is just the whole like they fly now. I felt that the Imperial Troopers were such a step down from the Dark Troopers that it just, you seem to get rid of the conflict and tension even by the fact that your enemies weren't even a big threat anymore. The fact that the Dark Troopers were a bigger threat and a bigger challenge than last time, I just felt that we lost all conflict. That as soon as they were like, right, in this fight for Mandalore, I was like, well, yeah, you got this. Even the episode title is called The Return. I'm like, you just spoiled the episode. We know what's going to happen because you've called it The Return. <laughs> Why was it called the return? Sorry, I the return to Mandalore. <laughs> oh, I suppose. I tell you what, there there, there was a moment. It was because there were people speculating if we we would see Mister Blueface in this in the finale. Yeah. 
I thought of Masamida. Why did I go to him? <laughs> that is so dumb. I was like, why would that guy show up? <laughs> that was your first well, well, I'm surprised now. I didn't think of Max Rebo, surely. Max Rebo. No, yeah, he's blown up. He blew up in Boba Fett. You gotta let it go. Gotta let it go. R.I.P. Um, <laughs> he was like Gideon, like, no. <laughs> R.I.P. to a real one. But, uh,. But yeah, so people were speculating that, and I and I personally thought, ah, I don't know. I I think it's just very good timing of all the celebration stuff, and and you know, uh, but so we watched, you know, the intro, and then the title card comes up, the return, and I I thought I went, oh, maybe we are gonna get Thrawn. This is the return of Thrawn, uh, but alas, it wasn't that. That would be strange to like title your episode after your cameo kind of thing. But I'm also interested in what you guys think about the title of the last episode, because a lot of people are still confused, like, oh, there was no spies, or there was spies and they were just the Imperials, which was quite obvious, because again, it seemed almost as if they were setting up that there was a Mandalorian spy. And then, I don't know if you've seen this, Jake, but I think it was Star Wars Explained, talked about, like, how it's got, like, a Bible reference, and how it's talking about, like, um, how... uh, was it like when the romans or like to do it like so it's 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 uh, a a bit of foundations class for you here um (laughs) it's um in the book of numbers in the in the bible it's when uh, is that before or after the book of boba fett (laughs) 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 i i think uh, book of boba fett was like in the the second half of the bible (laughs) in the new testament (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, but so yeah, it's in the book of Numbers, and it's when the Israelites uh, they get like twelve Israelites get sent out to like spy out the land, the promised land, before the whole migration. You know, they come to conquer that. So um, it's not confirmed, but it's um, it, it's a nice biblical reference, and also uh, I don't like doing this, uh, but knowing Favreau's sort of own personal life and history, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a biblical reference. Yeah, which makes me torn again as to, one, obviously, the, the cult religious stuff, but also, again, what is... Careful, what are you, careful Dave, careful. What, well, what are you trying to tell here? I'm like, if you are telling this kind of, like, biblical, like, religious kind of story, it's almost like, I don't know, we've talked a lot about before, like, if that stuff is there, like, the prequels, if you want to look into it, it's there, and you can sort of deep dive, in, you know, go deeper into that kind of element. But I'm like... That would have at least like given us what we're talking about in terms of a bit more of a purpose, a bit more spice, a bit more personality to the entire season. If you were to be more mythic and kind of biblical about it, I'm like that's if you are going for that, it's a shame that it's such a hidden reference. I think you could have been bolder with that. I um, agree, Dave, because that's what I was banking on when we had the the Mythosaur episode. You know, yeah, yeah, because I was like, bring it on, give me the full mythic hero's tale. You know, go full out there, but. It just kind of didn't quite reach those heights in a way. I was like, go f- go for it, like, you know? But that's also what makes me personally then struggle with those types of stories is that, again, is, you know, we look at things like, and again, this is a weird time to bring this up, but, you know, people have talked about, like, Super Mario Bros. and uh, Top Gun Maverick, both projects that have done extremely well, but also because they're very safe projects. And I think Mandalorian, to me, almost screams at that as well. You know, you look at the Mandalorian, and I don't mean to be unfair to this, you know, people could be like, that's really unfair to bring this up. But, you know, you look at other Star Wars projects or other shows, you know, there's not that many. There's no sort of LGBTQ characters. There's not any sort of like specific like characters of color who sort of like that's, you know, more like their identity. It's not dealing with any kind of like 
sort of bigger topics or anything like that, it speaks more to a kind of conservative audience. And as we've seen with things like Mario and Top Gun, which is a very weird sentence to say, it pleases middle America because it's not dealing with Muslim women, for example, which like Ms. Marvel. And not just that, Dave, show. it is about how this season is about you can't trust a government. The only way to protect yeah. your land is to get your family yeah. and get some guns. Go get them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, just look at um, Aunt Beru. (laughs) She has shotguns lined up waiting. (laughs) R.I.P. to another real one. But it's like you said, it's the idea that, yep, religion is a good thing and it's fine. And also the very conservative values and also just the element of, I was thinking about what I think this came up a bit in Celebration. You know, when people say like, oh, I love those old Republic video games. They should just take those cutscenes and make them like a movie. And it's like, again, it speaks to what we've been talking about here of like, yes, it looks very cool, but is there any meat? Is there anything actually of substance there? And I think that this series, again, not a bad thing, would just speak to a lot of people who love that kind of stuff, who just see the visuals and be like, oh my God, I love it. I'm seeing what I've always wanted to see. One of my friends, for example, loved The Force Awakens purely because he only ever just wanted to see a remake of A New Hope, but with new CGI. And that was enough for him. And I'm like, cool, that, you know, that's what you want. But, you know, for me, it's just not enough meat on the bone. And I think it just speaks to me of the unfortunate aspect of like, uh, you know, it's too bad that these are the more like popular stories because it speaks to such a bigger audience because of things. But Dave, you know, <laughs> I, I, I hate I'm not br- going to mention. No, but I, I hate to break it to you, but that's kind of always been the case with stories in a way. It's the, you know, the more kind of, the more kind of generic conservative stories are the ones that just keep getting retold. That's what I'm saying. That's why I bring up Mario and Top Gun. I'm like, so this is bringing that forward, but then making me think of the Star Wars projects, which haven't been talked about as much. I'm like, uh, you know, that's unfortunate, but I'll stay enjoying those kind of projects. Keep making the Disney. You know, I hear about like Ahsoka. I hear about the Acolyte and I hope that they keep making that type of content in balance to this kind of stuff. Put a pin on that. More on that in our celebration recap. We'll um, get to it. But I'll say it's, yeah. it's not even in this case that it's like conservative, not even politically, but just in terms of like interesting yes, decisions. Yes, not, not politically. Not, not just, safe. But it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah, safe, but a safe kind of thing. No, not, not even safe. I, I don't think this is like a competently told story. Because the basis of a story is your character wants something. This is like a broad thing. Your character wants something, but by the end of the story, they realize something else is like actually what they want or more important. So this it reminded me a lot. I thought a lot about Thor Ragnarok. Story about Thor trying to save Asgard from Ragnarok, but he realizes along the way Asgard doesn't matter. It's about people, and this is just they want to go back to Mandalore. They fight. They do it. You know, it's just there's there's like nothing. There's no like left turns or anything. This is just so basically wrong for me as a as a tale. No, no, I agree, and I think. Everything in this story makes sense to me. I just need that extra bit of conflict in there to yeah. make it a juicier story, you know? And for me, the conflict that I wanted to explore is the ideology of the different Mandalorians. That's, that's for me, was the meat. If, if this ended on a note of, like, there's going to be dissent with these groups, like you see, because obviously the Darksaber's gone now. Well, if it actually ended on a conversation of, well, who is going to rule this place? You know, that would be something interesting going to next season, because at the moment... There's like, do I want to see Din Djarin just bounty hunting again? I'm kind of over it. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But I, I think um, what you just said kind of leads in perfectly to um, to one of our questions um, for, for this week. Because now Laura Filmer, one of our friends, she sent a question. She says, do you think Bo-Katan deserves to rule Mandalore? 
So what do you think now, since you were kind of just talking about that aspect? Do you think Bo-Katan deserves to rule Mandalore? Well, what do you think After now? seeing her story. Uh, considering your thoughts on Kathleen Kennedy. And <laughs> oh, oh <Dave>. Dave. <laughs> Leave it be. Like, well, I don't know, because what... Everything about her that makes the characters think she'd be good, a good ru- ruler is like about her being a warrior and bloodline stuff again. And I guess if that's their culture, she's a good candidate. But I don't know. You almost want like the Holy Grail joke of like, well, I didn't vote for her. You know? It's like, <laughs> do, do they get to decide who rules? I, I don't know. How do you become king? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Some tar- from a lake gave her a dark saber. Yeah. <laughs> But that so you're saying the armor is a tart from a lake? <laughs> well, I don't, Whoa! Right, it's got, kind of so no, in a Din, way. If no, we're going way back, Din yeah. is, uh, <laughs> Din's the tart in the lake. <laughs> Din's the himbo in the lake. He was earlier in the season. But the armor allowed it. She was like, "Yeah, I'm fine with this." <laughs> but gosh, you're not really because that's the thing we we talk about it a lot. But it seems like they don't actually want to delve into Bo-Katan's like Clone Wars history. And that's something I'm like shocked has never come up. I know Dave, you talked about it with Kalechi that uh, Satine hasn't come up, but also like her leading a coup with Darth Maul and all this. None of this has come up. It's Bo-Katan. Like I like Katie Sackhoff. I think she's been good this season, but it doesn't feel like a complete character to me because there's information that I know coming into it that the show seems to like not want to engage with. Yeah. Because I think even visually I would want that. And Rebels even did it more. It's just that, again, when I see the end of it and people, you're talking about this epic, like, visual, I'm like, I don't see this as the retaking of Mandalore. I see it as just, like, the children of the Watch and Bo-Katan's crew. But you've led me to believe that there are many factions. We know that there's, like, uh, Clan uh, Wren. Where's Clan Wren? Is Clan Wren in there? I don't know. You haven't told me. You know, is, are there still people who followed Maul? Even if we had, like, some black and red armor somewhere, it would sort of at least allude to it you know, an idea of what the Mandalorians are meant to be, like this big sort of ragtag group of different clans and stuff Where's, like that. Where's millions of people from the Clone Wars who didn't wear helmets at all? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, the helmet exactly. thing was like yeah. a real minority. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes me the It was only the warriors. Yeah. yeah, And it is kind of sad in that way again, you know, not saying that I completely agree, but to have them be like, oh, you know, uh, Satine thought that being a pacifist was a good thing. And I'm like, is the Mandalorian, though? Well, John Favreau voiced that character. Maybe he is Vizsla. <laughs> Maybe he's come along and being like, no, being a pacifist isn't a good thing. Embrace the warrior ways. That's what they're going to do. And I'm like, it's a shame that that has kind of just completely been lost in a way, because that's what's good about the that entire arc all that time ago. Like when we see them flying in, I'm like, it looks cool, but I've already had that in Clone Wars, but it was more conflict because it was actually Mandalore's Mandalorians against Mandalorians because there was an actual conflict of of opinion there and like what their loyalties were. So yeah, I think that, that that's very unfortunate as well. I think it's a good point to to lose all of that that backstory. Especially I don't know what you guys think about just the fact that like the dark saber's been built up and built up and built up just to be crushed. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Can I, can, can I yeah, cuz cuz I actually wanted to bring up the dark saber cuz this it quite irked me actually because I thought they were going to really focus on the Darksaber and the sense of like, okay, this symbol, the Darksaber, is a symbol of unity for Mandalore, right? It can bring us together. Great. But it also has this symbol of you have to be the best. You have to rule. You have to beat everyone to get it, you know? Um, And I thought they were going to address that sort of ideology in that sense of, of like, 
why you know okay okay it's great that we can all unite behind this blade but what are we uniting behind you know why are we still stuck in this way because at the end of the day who's gonna stop anyone else from challenging me the next time you know what i mean like instead of just being like yes okay you're the ruler we need to do something different and i thought we were gonna lead up to something with the dark saber with bo -Katan. so when gideon destroyed it it was it just felt quite flat for me because you know it should have been Bo-Katan who destroyed mm, it yeah she should have been the one cuz he was also at the beginning of the fight he was like give me the dark saber you know he really wanted it so it, it would have been i think there would have been a different story angle where you have him take the dark saber and Bo-Katan's like hey man you have that thing it's going to bring you nothing but misery cuz that's all it's brought to our, to our people this entire time it killed my sister it killed so many people. And, and that's the thing. I also agree with this lack of information about her from the Clone Wars because that's something that you can be, be brought up, you know, when she's talking about who's going to rule Mandalore and when and, and the, the Mandalore's past, she can say, well, my sister was a ruler here and I fought against her. Mm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> where, where did that go? And I think that is the problem as well is even though they do reference the domes and things like that is that, you know, all the forge and everything is quite new territory really. You know, the forge was only really brought in, correct me if I'm wrong, but with the children of the watch. So for them to be like, we need to go to the forge and ignite the giant forge. And it's not like, you know, like Lord of the Rings or something in which I'm like, oh yes, I understand how this society works and how that's important. You know, it's like we've never been told about this. So I'm like, okay, you know, sure, I'll, I'll go along with it. But that world has never really been explored in that way. It's always just been what we have had of it has never referenced any forge or anything about that. So that I think is confusing. But also to, to answer the question, I don't think that she deserves to rule Mandalore, but only because I don't think that she's gone through enough of a progression. I think that, yes, the A and the B of like, um, she's always like, deserved this role, and she's always had it taken away from her. Maul came along, take it, took it away from her. The Empire took it away from her. Gideon took it away from her. I think, yes, like, for her to have what she finally wants, that is a nice storyline, and I think that that, ultimately, she deserves it in that sense. But she doesn't, this version of Bo-Katan, this story of Bo-Katan doesn't deserve it, because there's nothing that's happened, a progression that's allowed her to deserve it. I think what Jake suggested there, an alternative to that, could also be, like, I, I didn't like that whole, like, oh, well, Bogotan technically owns it. It's the kind of, like, Elder One thing of, like, because of this, like, stupid little, you know, technicality. But if we're talking about, like, you know, like, oh, well, this is just something you thought in your head. I'm like, no, the show did this. You know, the end of season two, uh, Gideon was playing the two against each other by saying, oh, well, now you need to fight each other because that's what she wants. And all of that just got scrubbed away. And they could have played that right until the end. It could have been that she still wanted to fight uh, Din. It could have been that there was still that conflict as to who was the rightful owner. And I felt that we should have seen that from the Mandalorians as well. I don't like this idea that only the armor is the symbol of that, like, you know, what is what the people follow. As if we're talking about Game of Thrones, you see that in Game of Thrones quite a lot in terms of, like, who should be king. You see lots of characters and why they believe in that and why they follow it. And the people, like cheering and booing and people but like the mandalorians never really seem to care they just show it through one interaction or one conflict but i felt that a good resolution to that would have been if mando destroyed the dark saber because then you'd be and then bogatown was traumatized like no what have you done like and being really angry he's like i set us free 
It could yeah, have been very anyway. epic. I and then if she <laughs> came got over that, then yes, she would have like deserved to rule Mandalore because she has sort of grown above what that is, and Din has helped her to come to that to that realization. But yeah, I think, and it's just it's just strange even because Gideon seemed really like to love the dark saber, and then even he's like, yeah, uh, does destroy. Yeah, th- that's what I thought. I thought you want it, and then you crushed it, and you're like, oh, it's gone. Yeah. That's gone now. You know, and I was like, okay, okay. Yeah. You know, like, the, 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 I would say, to answer Laura's question from my end, I would say, oh, it's difficult. Um, on the surface, yes. Because I think everything story-wise, it, yes, she does deserve because she brought Mandalorians together, Mandalore stronger together. Great. Awesome. But I don't know if I can give my full vote, you know, because... Because there's just, like we keep saying, there's just not enough meat there for me to go, yep, excellent, I think you fully deserve this. I think on a surface level, yes, but it's very, you know. Well, we're talking about presidencies. Maybe we just need to see the next few series now, see how her four terms go and see if she deserves it by the end. Did did she change Mandalore for the better or will when re-election comes along, you know, we'll have a Or will it just be constant resignations? It's like, when are we going (laughs) to vote? (laughs) Axe kept bullying people and like he eventually had to get, you know, like axed. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Dave. But I, I I was a bit let down. Even though I like Axe Woves just as like a passive handsome man Mandalorian. I did think he was gonna blow up in that ship. It was just like And also just he didn't give them a much of a heads up. Like, hey guys, I'm just pummeling into this like into our home with a flaming ship. Like <laughs> Yeah, we retook like, Mandalore. It's even worse yeah, than when they got yeah, there. Exactly. Like you, Nal, I thought, oh, okay, it's actually, you know, it did at one point. I was like, oh, I'm getting a bit moved here because of the music and everything. And he actually was playing it quite, you know, quite well. Yeah. Uh, but then he's like, okay, it's done. And flies. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Okay. Um, it geez. feels like it felt like they almost wanted to have um, Holdo's moment mm. from The Last Jedi, but then chickened out at the last minute. <laughs> if Holdo, like, just sprinted to an escape pod, there's <laughs> yeah. ruined the pacing of the scene. Only. Apart Gideon question mark, you know, we'll, we can talk about that. Um, but only Gideon is the one who died in this episode. No heroes died mm, no. in this episode. Yeah, you know, which is interesting c- considering you have, you know, with season one you had the death of Quill, IG eleven, um, IG eleven, and then season two. Um, what's her name? <laughs> Does anyone die in season two? No, they did. I don't think, um, no, I don't think it was. But it was more emotional because he had to give away Grogu and stuff like that. Um, I suppose you had the <laughs> the Bill Burr episode, which was quite emotional. Uh, mm, I miss Bill Burr. Yeah, it's interesting. No Bill Burr and no Pedro. It's very weird because they, they focus so much on Mandalorians. And I've said it once, I'll say it again. They're just like all faceless. Which I saw, except for Bo-Katan. And I could have used like some regular Joes in the mix if he had to get some of his posse from before, like Cobb well, Vanth, we do have um, Cosca Reeves and... Well, they, they don't has she had much, a word? Has she said anything this season? Uh, she, very few <laughs> piece, uh, lines of dialogue, yeah. Very weird. She kicks ass in the action, though. Yeah. She is cool oh, wait, in the no, action Season scene. two, you did have Cara Dune died. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She yeah. choked in a peanut yeah. right before the credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh uh moving on then (laughs) moving on i'm trying to think uh what haven't we covered yet do you guys have oh i i I, yeah i'd like to um so kind of two things kind of 
the fact that he's going back to being a bounty hunter, back to what it seems like, you know, adventure of the week adventures type of mm. thing. Um, but also tied to that, um, the the name, the the the, the mm. Din Grogu thing. I, I, I want to talk about. So I've seen a lot of people talk about this, and you know, and and I've heard a lot of different explanations and theories. Well, not really theories, more like opinions and perspectives from different cultures and stuff like that. Um, but when that happened, I immediately thought, oh, is Din then like his cert, like his actual like family name? And then Jaren is, um, you know, like his, his like a f first name in a, for lack of a better word. Um, but then I thought, well, no, that doesn't make sense because everyone's been calling him Din. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's either Mando or Din. And it's Bo-Katan Kreese. And it's, yeah, it's Bo -Katan, Vizsla, it's, yeah, House like Vizsla. So, yeah, it was a bit strange. But, I, but then I thought, you know... Mandalore is a planet, you know, our planet itself, we have lots of different cultures, lots of different naming conventions, you know, um, in a lot of uh, Eastern cultures in like Asia and stuff like that. A lot of uh, the family name like is written first when you're typing it out or something or when you're saying it. Um, so I, I totally see if that's the angle they're going for. But um, now, what did you think of uh, Din Grogu uh, and all of that sort of thing? And also the kind of we, I don't think we really delved into it, but the whole sort of adopting him and, and you know, kind of ending this stage of this story and then going on to a new path as an actual father and son now. I just find it, again, so baffling because if, if this was something set up throughout the season to have given Din, Jaren and Grogu something to go along, is maybe if it challenged the idea of like, oh, maybe they're not family or something. But you just, again, for so long, it's just like we've all taken it that they have that relationship. And so it's just, why are we spending time just like confirming that on paper at a ceremony? I just, it's really, really Niall baffling. just giving his thoughts on marriage there, basically. <laughs> but he's, he's been a foundling since like the end of season one, right? That was something that the armor just outright said. I did wish in a scene, though, that it, con it completed, like, the hat trick for this season, where when Jimmy Kimmel's nephew's being coronated, or whatever you call baptised, if the Mythosaur attacked. <laughs> it's like, this kid was not meant to be a Mandalorian. <laughs> came and took him away again. <laughs> again, like, that kid, his dad's dead. We don't know what he thinks of that. I, I also wonder what I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, shouldn't it be, like, Grogu Jarin? You know, like, and I thought that kind of has, like, a ring to it. But then I also did think, I wonder if it's the apprentice thing. I wonder if it's like his adopted name would be Grogu Jarin, as in like he is his son. But would his like, is it an apprentice thing that it's like Din Grogu is in like, you are the apprentice of that person. So once then he is not an apprentice, then he is Grogu Jarin or something like that. Maybe. Is he just going to get a new name every season? Well, this is it. Like it's we, the new we action get some, <laughs> we get some like, clarification i guess on like how the mando cut so you start off as a foundling then you go to an apprentice so like the i the way i kind of viewed it is that okay so if you're a foundling right at that point of being a foundling they are actively maybe trying to get you back to your family or to whoever you belong to in a sense you know but if they can't find your family then you become an apprentice you officially become like a mandalorian and get adopted by it that, that's kind of like maybe what i took from it I think it would be kind of hilarious if they do keep adding titles and names to him. Like, as I suppose in a way we've learned more, more names Grogu. as we've gone along. Yeah, could be like Baby Yoda. <laughs> well, no, they just called him the child in season one. So the child Grogu 
Sir Grogu of that full title. Yeah. And Din he's Grogu. also Jedi Jedi Apprentice, exactly. Mandalorian Padawan. Apprentice. Yeah. Uh, the the artist formerly known as Grogu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one one day he just drops it all and just calls himself G. <laughs> yeah. And and then like this sort of I guess it kind of works, but I just found it kind of awkward of like the armor saying and now you will go on adventures and teach him the ways, uh, as is custom in like. And I was like, "Haven't we just been doing that?" <laughs> <laughs> the fact that, like, it would be said, it would be great if he said, "Like, no, I've been walking around so long. I want to sit down. I want to sit down." Yeah, <laughs> I, I just found like, from like it works, but it was just really clunky. I thought like, yeah, it, it, it was the same with Gideon's like monologue it was like okay it works it's just really really clunky yeah like, like the moment made me roll my eyes when he's just like well what if he becomes my apprentice she's like okay yeah that works this is the way this is the way i'm like what is the way at this stage i don't know like you're just telling me things yeah that are the i'm way, getting you know? i'm getting kind of like i i really wish they would pull back on 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 the this is the way stuff because there's been times in this season where i've been really frustrated when they've said like this is the way one particular aspect is like um when they were going to save Ragnar and they were, you know, oh, and they yeah. all had to eat it. And Bo-Katan was like, how do you eat in these things? You know, oh, you have to eat alone. And, you know, and he's like, because you're the leader, you get to sit by the fire. This is the way. And I was just like, why do we keep saying this? Like, explain it. Like, you mm. know, like. What is the way? Yeah. yeah. What is the way? Like, can we go a bit more into it? Like that. And th- I, I found that very frustrating. Because the funny thing is, yeah, because because the armor has been so like weird and contradictory with her rules this season. That we all assumed that was subtext. It's like, oh, she's up to something. And you realize it's like, oh, no, it's the writers just not <laughs> deciding new rules constantly for the actual show. What I also think is interesting, you know, we've talked about, especially, and Jake was mentioning this earlier, about, like, religion and stuff, I think is what is difficult as well, is that traditionally Star Wars has told us that religion is not the greatest thing in some ways and leads to corruption, especially when aligned with you know governments and stuff and i think that that's why a lot of people could turn around and say oh well you love uh, you know the jedi stuff but like to be fair and to be clear we've never had you know so high republic for example i think at first the concept of it i was like oh that's gonna be tricky because you're kind of are you embracing the idea of that religion as a good thing and thankfully they seem to have gone down the route of like oh well no this is like when the jedi were more like knights of the republic and that's what I, as a kid, I never watched Luke Skywalker and go, yeah, he's a kick-ass Jesus. You know, I was just like, he's just... <laughs> he's... <laughs> there's, there's your title. You're a um, youth pastor trying to sell stones. Yeah. He's a kick-ass Jesus, kids. <laughs> I did see somebody using a social media app once to, like, actually bring people towards the Bible, and I was like, wow, okay. Um... Oh, but I brilliant. think I think that, as Jake has said before, we look at Ahsoka like I am no Jedi. To to me, a Jedi is a hero and somebody who is like a defender of the good and the light. But when you start getting into like you know the religious aspects and like oh the Force and like worship the Force, all of that kind of stuff, that's where the story has always gone. Well, this is where then things get more complicated and it becomes corrupt. And even if you look at the acolyte which is still yet to come out, but what everything they've said about that is that they go, we show how the Jedi become what they were in the High Republic and how they become the Jedi that you see in The Phantom Menace. So even that show is already pretty made clear, we are not saying that the religious aspects of the Jedi are a good thing. 
So I think that, again, that's what makes it very muddy and confusing to see this show go, well, this is a good thing, especially because they have already established, potent, you know, like problematic elements of it, which aren't fleshed out. I think even if they have fleshed it out and made it make sense, you could get on board with it more, like you said, by just explaining what the hell the way is. But, you know, I think that that is what makes it tricky is that you are, and that might speak to Favreau as a creator. Maybe to him, you know, it is like, oh, well, Luke is the kick-ass Jesus. And, you know, I'm fine with that. And, you know, the Jedi, because I think, has he even said that, like, before he was like, oh, yeah, I didn't, no, I guess that's more of a, um, uh, what's his name? Who? Knives Out, uh, oh, Ryan Johnson, Johnson, Ryan Johnson. Kind of thing, like acknowledging that, you know, the hubris of the Jedi, etc. Whereas I don't know if Favreau is that kind of creator in which he's just looking at it as a singular, like this is the original trilogy, this is what they're talking about. Simple stories reflecting m- mythology, this is what I'm doing. Which is, which is so just, nuts, just because the original trilogy is like, Luke's mentors are t- saying like, ah, kill your dad, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> that's, that's what the story is about it's him saying no I won't actually you know but it, it's always been there and what's crazy is like you know obviously Favreau and Dave Filoni are on this and they've laid so much groundwork of like being critical of this warrior culture in the Clone Wars show which does it so well you know mm, yeah oh mm. I think we'll definitely get into some of that as well if Jake was saying put a pin in it in terms of future stuff as well mm. yeah I would say, the only thing I would, I'd say it against what you just said Dave is that I just use slightly different wording Mm, Uh, I I, I would say like (laughs) yeah because it it can get it it can get tricky and it's a tricky subject it is Um, um, but I would say religious aspects is not problematic I think institutionalization of religion is where it gets problematic and I think that's what kind of George Lucas was saying in the prequels with the Jedi is that um yeah. This is this is, it, when you start uh, putting in rules and barriers and boundaries and have to conform a certain way and not ask questions, just believe, you know, sort of thing. That's when it gets problematic, and I think that's why we see Ahsoka and Luke Skywalker as being like the ultimate Jedi because they're like, I'm not interested in the rules. I'm just interested in the actual philosophy of be a good person, protect and defend the innocent, save life, you know. And also, like, I have no problem with spirituality, you know, I, I love, and that's the aspects of the Jedi I do love, you know, I, you know, even as a person, again, like, that's why maybe I would struggle to sort of align to religious, you know, aspects of just being like, this is this one thing, but I think spirituality is really important, and I like, that's what I like about those characters, is to kind of have that bigger understanding of things, and that's why they very much juxtapose to the Empire, who are just like, this is the way things are, you know, and I think that I, that is important, um, and it, but it's like you said, you if you're going to be all like stringent about rules and stuff like that, which the Mandalorians seem to be about, it's like you need that groundwork to establish like why are they like this and what. And they even say it again in the show early on. They're like, oh, well, the Death Watch, which was again like this terrorist group splintered into many different factions. And that's why I'm still there kind of going like, well, which faction are you? You know, and like that's what makes me very suspicious and dubious. Which about Bo-Katan them. was a part of. Yes. Mm. So, you know, it's 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 a complicated one. But that's why I'm saying is that, yeah, I agree with you definitely that, you know, it's not to say that religion or stories about religion are a bad thing, but it's where the Favreau's kind of approach to it and his, like, um, idea to him about what the original trilogy is, is maybe in conflict with what Star Wars, to me, 
has also presented us with and also given us. So what I'm trying to say there about like what Lucas and the Acolyte and stuff are doing is that I think it's just tricky when the, they are saying, here's stories about like religious figures and institutions. And this is, and so people basically can say to me like, oh, well, you're fine with those uh, religions being represented in the Acolyte and Tales of the Jedi. I'm like, yes, because they are showing conflict within those. And they're like, reflective on it. Yes, yeah, and like it's speaking to a larger thing of society. Um, it and isn't and just... like the Mandalorian was in the Clone Wars. That, yeah. You know... mm. Or even Mando was in season one and two to a degree of him saying, well, this is actually hindering me from doing my mission and doing what I want. Like, I want my child to see my face, which again is unfortunate we've lost that. What, what, a, what a terrible person he was for wanting that. <laughs> I'm glad he will forever remain in that bucket. <laughs> forever unchanging, forever a himbo. Well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't really got any other like big things kind of to discuss. I think it's more, I've got a list of like just little action moments and funny moments and stuff like that, but that's really it for me, I think. The only other thing I would ask you guys is what do you feel about, did you feel that any times this was a bit too video gamey, that there was too much visual effects going on? That I said I liked the shot of Bo-Katan with the sword, but there were so many moments, like you said, in which the cruiser came down and they were like, everyone fly out and it's all really convenient. And I just felt like I was watching a cutscene. I Yes, I actually got that in my notes because it's something that I kind of like about the show in the sense because I've always felt like from the first episode of season one, I've always felt the Mandalorian has had kind of a video game aspect to it. You know, it's like... You go to this place, you get that item because you need that item to get this thing, you know, and you level up and stuff like that. I always felt that the Mandalorian did have a kind of video game quality to it. You know, you level up, he's got his Beskar armor mm. now. By the end of the season, you've got a jetpack. Yeah, you know, <laughs> all these sorts of things. And so I, and I think it's part of the strength of the show. It's kind of fun. So one moment that I, I put in the, what I thought was just very video game. I even said it to my partner when we were watching. I was like, oh, this is like playing a video game. I can imagine playing this level is when he has to fight those Beskar troopers with the shields. Yeah. <laughs> like each one, like one shield drops and you fight a couple of guys and yeah. you have to wait for the next shield. I said that with last week's one with like going around like almost like a battlefront map. But what I was thinking of is more the visuals. Like it just felt like I was watching a CG cutscene because I wasn't watching anything real whatsoever in those scenes. So to me, Mando season one is like, oh yeah, there is a guy walking in the desert and there's like a visual behind him or there's a real Jawa there. There's actually like a bit of his ship is real. Whereas I didn't feel like really much apart from the corridors and the characters were real in this in this season. I thought the visuals were splendid and it was great that they actually mimic the end concept art so much. But there was a lot of times in which I just felt that like I was just watching like a cutscene because it was just so CG heavy. Yeah, I, I, can, I can't say that. But again, I guess that's the prequels also. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't say I was affected by that personally. It, it didn't like take me out. I, I, it was just like, yeah, cool. Mando's flying in the air. You know, how else are you going to do it? Like, <laughs> Just also, um, what was Gene Carlo's plan? Why did he want so many of him? Did he want one to take over us like Domain Moff Gideon? Or did he want like a posse of him going around? Yeah, you know, he never... I, I kind of got the idea he wanted a posse because that's because with the the troopers with the Beskar armor he was saying I want to contri bring all the best aspects me you know yeah. <laughs> I will give credit though because that that bit with the shields is very good I think it's like almost as if he's made the dark troopers and he's gone the the major flaw of those is they're robots what's the best way of me making those stronger 
putting myself into that armor. So I think that he wanted to make an army almost like a Django Fett clone army with him as the, you know, source DNA. Like I said, I actually, I dig this decision rather than being like, oh, it's all leading to Exegol and Palpatine because it does give more agency to Gideon of like, he, this guy is just a piece of bleep, you know, like he, <laughs> he, he just, he, he, you know, in that scene with the Shadow Council and stuff like that, also, for me, it clarifies more that Project Necromancer is Brendel Hux's thing, and that, I think, is the Palpatine stuff. But Project Resurrection is what <laughs> Gideon's been planning all along, you know. I I've always felt Gideon's had his own plans. He just wants power for himself. Even the fact when he's like, where's Thrawn? I don't see Thrawn here, you know. Maybe there's time for some new leadership, you know, all this sort of stuff. I've always felt the Palpatine, he's thought Palpatine's in the past, it's my time to shine. I'm going to take over. Well, to be fair, like, I think I almost would have preferred it, like, that he was kind of under direct, kind of like Admiral Pride, is it, in Rise of Skywalker. I would have liked him more in some ways if he was... The happiest was, man in Star Wars. <laughs> I would like it if he was more like he was just totally committed and faithful to Palpatine in some ways, because, again, it would have maybe sort of made up for some of the character's flaws and his absence from a lot of the series if he was just there like well i'm doing everything because i serve my emperor loyally but the fact that he was doing it all for his own hubris is interesting and it does make him just another character in which you're like oh okay well that makes sense because like you said jake it makes it so that hux has his thing and gideon was like krennic i said before just going after his own his own interests and his own hubris but then he just failed and like that's an interesting story in itself that yeah and I almost wish that that Zoom meeting was still going on at the end and they were all just like chatting away and then just uh, Gideon just went offline when the fire <laughs> when the fire came in and they're like, oh, what happened there? It's like, oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's interesting that he is like, oh, well, you know, I think Thrawn, where is Thrawn? You know, like I am the clear leadership. I am the guy who's making the change. And then it's like, no, he's dead. Okay, cool. Bring in Thrawn, you know. So I think that that is, it's interesting and kind of like, you know, speaks to some of the, the sort of flaws. But um. Yeah, I think that... Uh, uh, yeah, at the same time, it does kind of feel like, yep, yeah, he's dead, let's bring him Thrawn now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's the fact that... I would probably say when we talked about, like, all roads lead to Exile, it's like all B roads lead to Exegol. <laughs> what, what about you, Niall? Gideon, hot or not? Well, you know, I love I loved Gideon as a villain. I thought he was great. I was very happy last week when he came back with a vengeance. And then it just... It felt like the same thing as the Darksaber. It just felt like uh, they, they kind of... The story team is sick of that element now. Let's just get rid of it and move on. It didn't feel like even a very interesting way to kill him off. Like, no way of using his his folly against him. Uh, you know, it's just... Jeez, there's just nothing to talk about, I don't think. It's just, he should have been killed by the Darksaber. That would have been something if he got stabbed with it and fell off a thing, so they're both gone. But at least that's kind of a an ending for it. It just feels like they're finished with that, and now... This show is already, I think, kind of on the ropes because he wasn't there because they didn't have a villain except for a swamp thing, Pirate Man, who is also dead now. Gordian so Shard. It, it feels like, I don't, yeah, like going into a season four, like there's nothing for me that's got me excited. And I, you know, I don't want to sound so negative, but just on a basic level, it's like just more but now it's going to tie into the first order a bit and and it, and it goes back to what i said last week like the continued adventures of grogu and 
Din Djarin. Like you're like, yeah, okay. Oh, well. sorry, Din Grogu and Din. Din Djarin. Grogu. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Get no, it right. I'm I'm kind of <laughs> with you. Like, I'm all for more storytelling in this era because uh, I'm especially after seeing that trailer. I'm very excited for Ahsoka, um, and especially after that announcement of Filoni's movie. Um, there is some excitement there. I don't think uh, this is for another talk, but I don't think it's going to be an Avengers type of thing. Um, I, I think it's building up to the New Republic versus the remnant of the Empire. I, f I believe Filoni even said as much, something like that. Um, so it's that era that really intrig intrigues me. Um, and kind of the only way, that the, the only aspect I can see of Mandalorians involving being part of that story is the Bo-Katan mandalore stuff but if din's off <laughs> doing his own solo adventures i'm like sh like great look I, I i can happily enjoy just seeing din and grogu go on weekly adventures that's absolutely fine you know that's like a that's like me going to mcdonald's i enjoy it it's not going <laughs> to be the best thing for you but i enjoy mcdonald's you know it's i, I like it um it's, it's i believe it'll kind of be the same with mandalorians like this is really good i'm enjoying all of it but it's not as fulfilling or sustainable as some of the other stuff that I've been interested in uh, in Star Wars. Um, and hoping I get that with Ahsoka and going forward with this sort of era, I would, funnily enough, I kind of want the Mandalorian to be about Bo-Katan now, not Din. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see her progression as she's now a new ruler of Mandalore. And not to throw comparisons too much, but I, I, you know, it, it speaks also to, I think, how people approach these shows and stuff like that is that, for me, that it's kind of like, okay, yeah, it's fun japes and kind of the pulpy action stuff, but sometimes I need a bit more than that. And some people can say that about, like, the animated shows. They're like, oh, well, I just don't get into it or I don't find it fun because that's all it is. But to me, I can sometimes be into it because it's just 20 minutes and it kind of sells you on that, um, but it kind of has a, a whole other series of things which i would say it's is different but again when you look at bad batch you know we're all excited for season three you know as opposed to this in which like now we've just kind of gone like yeah you know what, what what's the next season going to be about and yeah i was going to bring it up jake the fact that even this you know kids cartoon is they willing to sort of spoilers kill off one of its main characters in the show with this big like you know duh, 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 you know like this big sacrifice this big musical moment so then to not have that at all um, in something like this, in which, as we said, no characters die, no big characters are sort of like lost, you know, like everything is just wrapped up very easily. And it's just crazy to me that I'm like, how is the animated show doing that? And this isn't. And it shows as to what you enjoy and what is, is great. Not to start, Dave, but also like it ends with such a hook, Bad Batch, of, oh, one of our main characters has been kidnapped by... <laughs> The bad guys, you know, it's, it's got the Empire Strikes Back ending, which I know Star Wars has a habit of quoting itself, but that is something that we need more of. We need more of these cliffhangers and things to actually make you really want to see the next thing and not just, and uh, now more. And now, imagine if the Empire, if when Empire Strikes Back came out, if that was just like a new hope again. It's like, oh, they've got another super weapon to blow up. It's like, is Mandalorian's almost done like season one, A New Hope. Season two, Return of the Jedi. Season three, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> but, al but also, like, it shows what was so compelling about the first two seasons is that Grogu wasn't just another character. He was like the ring in Lord of the Rings. He was like the item. He was like the thing that you needed to, like, sort of see through to the end. And once he lost his kind of purpose in that, that's what made him such a difficult character to sort of use in that sense. 
And I think that also speaks to like this series as a whole as well, is that there was no objective, but the objective was, oh, well, it's to take back Mandalore. It's like, but you didn't really set that up. Like if they showed at the beginning that like the Empire had taken over Mandalore, or even the thing that gets on my nerves the most is, why did they purge it and have the Night of a Thousand Tears in the first place? Like, why? Tell us these things. Like, what were they doing that was so bad? You could have set up like why the return to Mandalore would have been such a big thing. But I don't think they really like... Um, we have that. that really. We have a really big gap between the end of Rebels and and the beginning of the Mandalorian. Of, of yeah, I'm totally mm. with you, Dave. Like, what happened? Because you know, we, we we end with um, Sabine obviously giving the dark saber to Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan's for man like for Mandalore. Let's all fight against the Empire. All of that, and that's all we hear. That's 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 the end. Like, also one other thing, I would just the last note I have is that I think we really are feeling the loss of uh, Ludwig Granson. Um, music wise because um, f- I've been going through this whole season like is he even here like is he doing the music and when I saw the credits for this one I was like right okay it makes sense now he's no longer sort of credited as the sort of music guy and I think that it's, the show uh, Joseph has, Shirley yeah um, which no disrespect to her but I just think that like all it's been is kind of just mimic of what he has done and sort of just retreads of those same soundtracks I just think that the show has lost so much personality and kind of flavor to the stories that they're telling by not having some kind of originality to the music or kind of something different it's just kind of felt like the same it's just like here's the mando theme again here's the kind of like music you heard when they were storming gideon's ship i think they really have sort of like lost something there as well no i agree with you dave because i'm big fan of ludwig goranson's uh work and when he came onto the first season of mandalorian you know trying all these different sounds, sounds we haven't really heard in Star Mm. Wars before, but at the same time, it sounded like Star Wars. Um, And he didn't stop there because in season two, he just kept on expanding on that. We have that really cool Boba Fett theme, which I love. Mm. Um, You have like the Dark Trooper theme, which he's incorporating like techno and like dubstep sounds and stuff like that. It's just really interesting stuff. And yeah, I didn't, until you actually brought it up, I never once now, just thinking about it, thought about the music Mm. this season which if you don't think about it in a sense is not great i mean well some people say oh if you don't if you don't pay attention to the music then it's done its job i'm like "Uh, yes and no but at the same time kevin kiner in our bad batch discussions that's it you still need to have really powerful musical moments and yeah i agree with you we didn't quite get those in this season oh yeah and i don't want to harp on cinematography or anything but it's crazy just when i think back that you know greg fraser who did like dune the batman and rogue one i believe he did like season i think all of season one or like established Uh, the visuals anyway yeah i think he i think he did like five out of the eight episodes or something like that yeah and i just feel like even like lighting aside i just don't think the blocking or framing has been it's just been not great this season. I don't know. It just felt like a lot of kind of wide, wide frames with a lot of characters in for the most part. I don't know if there are any shots that kind of lingered with me. Oh, well, this has been a bit, bit of a glum one, but I think it's important to reiterate. Sorry, I was going to reiterate to the listeners. We're all actually on like, I think a Star Wars high at the moment after celebration. And this is just like, just a little blip, but it's always going to happen. And if a, if a Star Wars thing comes out and disappoints you, that's fine. You don't have to go insane on the internet. It's all good in Star Wars land. Like, like I said, look, I'm not a hater on the show at all. I like the show. It, it, I enjoy watching the show. Uh, I just 
for for it to reach a certain tier of Star Wars for me, it needs to have a bit more meat to it, you know, a bit more substantiality, um, just a bit more character development and stuff like that. Uh, but this is absolutely fine, and I enjoy watching it. Uh, no hate here. Um, yeah, just just that's just where it this it's on that side of the buffet for me. You know, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's cool. It's fine. It's got some cool stuff, some cool visuals. But like I said, not definitely wouldn't be one of my favorites at the end of this. And I think emphasizes even more that I see the first two seasons very much standalone when I think of Star Wars television. Whereas we'll see what the future is for the show or any other shows in terms of like what it becomes almost, I guess. Yeah, well put, well put. So with that, I think that's enough about this episode and the season. Will we segue? We've got one question from our good friend, Laura. I think will bring bring us out on a nice note. So the question Laura has sent is a would you rather type question, which are always interesting. Uh, would you rather fight one Jar Jar sized Grogu or 10 Grogu sized Jar Jars? <laughs> what a nightmarish image. Jake, would you like to take the charge on this? <laughs> this is, there's, there's, there's no way I come out as a good guy in this. <laughs> I you know what this is gonna sound really mean <laughs> but I think I would go for 10 Grogu sized Jar Jars because then I can just kick them <laughs> get the hell out of the way um, I think it'll be much easier uh, than fighting a big Grogu <laughs> just in, <laughs> it's just a bit strange but um, knocking out 10 little Gungans I can do that um, I think to be quite dark, I think I would prefer the opposite. I think I would prefer one Jar Jar Sykes Grogu and him li literally because I can just stab him. <laughs> I, would, yeah. I think if he's miniature, it means he can flip around and he's like hard to navigate and find. I think if we're taking this episode of Mando as inspiration, where lots of mouse droids are like crowding you and the fact that he is like Yoda, he can flip around and jump around. No, but, 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 but Jar Jar. This, yeah. These are Jar Jars. These true, are, are little bitty guns. we've seen that he's like very, you know, jumpy and flexible and his ears and everything like that. He could be like slapping you with his ears like down there. So yeah, oh, he's, got, he's, got, he's got that tongue as well. Yeah, exactly. So I think I would just prefer to stab one, one Grogu, unfortunately, and get it over with. Oh, dear. But Dave, you know how many people you've upset by saying, I will stab Grogu? <laughs> <laughs> Dave cancels Grogu. <laughs> oh dear! All the, all those um, who was that friend of yours that says that I am Grogu's mother? That Mary, Mary, yeah, Mary, yeah. She's she's not going to be happy with you, Dave. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I'm sure that like the cuteness of Grogu would be taken by, away by the fact that he was the size of a man. So I, I would hope that I would be taking away her nightmare there. Well, so so there you have it. I'll fight ten Jar Jars, and Dave will just fight one Grogu. But what about you, Niall? Well, we won't be getting uh, Niall's answer because we've just lost him <laughs> on the, the connection. So uh, uh, it's just you and me, Dave, as we <laughs> close the show. But Somehow Niall has gone. <laughs> Niall has left us. <laughs> He's burnt up like Moff Gideon. Yeah. Uh, but will he return? We'll soon find out. He's at the bottom of the sea like... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, technical issues, always fun, always fun. But like I said, luckily we were at the end of the episode anyway, so let's get out of here. You've heard our prediction, our thoughts on Mando Season 3 finale, and you've also heard me and Dave, which one we would rather fight, <laughs> 10 little Jar Jars 
or one big Grogu. Uh, stay tuned for the Mandalorians. We will be coming back very soon with uh, a new episode, catching up on everything that happened at Star Wars Celebration 2023. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, but other than that, Dave, uh, do you want to let the people know where they can find you and anything you got going on at the minute? Uh, as usual, you can catch me over on Twitter. Um, I never had a blue tick, so I'm not affected by the current controversy of the blue tick scenario. You have to pay now, Dave. Yeah, well, <laughs> do you? That is the thing. It's uh, yeah. Moff Gideon is giving out blue ticks, apparently. Uh just to anybody who doesn't want them. And then they're all mysteriously back. So somehow the blue ticks have returned. Uh, but I am outside of that. I'm just watching as a spectator, as I said, like this episode, watching from the other plane. Like, what is going on there? Uh, so I'm going down with the ship. So you can catch me there at David Osger. Um, you can catch me over on Letterboxd. Uh, same sort of, you can just type in David Osger, O-S-G-A-R, and you can catch out the reviews of uh, all the films I'm going to see in the cinema and watching at home. And you can also catch me over on Well Good Movies, where we're talking about uh, quite a very variety, strange string of movies at the moment. Uh, the ones that will be coming out at the moment is we've gone from the Arnie film Running Man uh, over to the Japanese uh, classic Battle Royale. So uh, go check that out. Ooh, it's very that that is discussion. a classic. I look forward to listening to that one, Dave. That's very mm. cool. And to tie into that to Star Wars, if you Japanese and they well, it's not just Japanese, but Visions Volume Two is also mm. coming out very soon, yep. May the fourth. So Star Wars fans, get ready for that. It's going to be really fun. Uh, as for myself, you can also I'm I'm sort of semi coming back to Twitter, Dave. What what, oh. what I'll do <laughs> is that I am still not having it on my phone, but I will log into my desktop Twitter every now and then just to see what's going on. Uh, so yeah, if you want to find me on there, and I uh, that's at uh, Sweaty Jake on Twitter, and you can also find me at Jake Hart on Letterbox. Catch all my film options there. And as for the show, the Monday Lorians, you can also find us on Twitter at Monday Lorians. Please uh, follow us, like us, tweet us, DM us, any of that good stuff. Ask questions, silly, serious. We will take it all, all to keep expanding this family of the Monday Lorians. And whether you use Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts, please subscribe and follow us on there. And wherever you can, leave us a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it as it all helps us go up in the rankings. So Dave, what's the sign-off are we going to end on today? Hmm. One thing that we didn't... One thing that I'm looking forward to, the return of in Ahsoka, is the Force. <laughs> the Force! <laughs> Catch you in the Force next time. R.I.P. Gideon. Uh -huh.